0: Heights to the depths of the sea.
1: You know, the, the army was in great joy because of this victory, right? And now they come back into Mahanaim and they see David just falling apart. And can you imagine that? Usually, when they come back from battle, it's celebration time. They're going to build the fires and slay the calf and have a big uh, barbecue, right? And they come back all jubilant and see David just, the whole mood is completely different. It's di- very different. And so they're upset, and naturally so. Inescribable,
0: uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. Oh, powerful, untamable. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester, with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Uh, Who was told every in- Today, our scripture says, The victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. This was not good. David's loyal and sacrificing supporters won that day for the glory of God and the good of Israel. Then they felt bad about the victory because David was overcome with excessive weeping and mourning for Absalom. David's excessive sorrow made his loyal friends and supporters feel ashamed they won the great victory. There is such a thing as excessive mourning, mourning that is basically rooted in unbelief and self-indulgence. During the time we mourn is the time to be closer to God and rely on his comfort. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson.
1: And it says, and unto him shall be the obedience of all the people, the Shiloh or the Messiah. And then binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine as a, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. This brings to memory the, the whole um, uh, when David, or I'm sorry, when Jesus rode in on the on the donkey, um, you know the prophecy in Zechariah nine verse nine. So there's a lot of prophecy about Jesus here, but also that they would that the scepter wouldn't depart from Judah. And now God has already spoken to David, hasn't he? Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. These are anchor points for David because he's in a place right now that we're going to read here in a few minutes, and it won't take a great deal of time to go through it. But he's in a place where, at his, from his perspective, he's not sure what's ahead, but he ought to have these anchors. And they are. They're significant anchors. The Genesis 49, verse 10 is a good one. But notice what happened when he was a young boy, when he was a, in his teens. It says in First Samuel 16, beginning in verse 11, that Samuel comes to Jesse's house, to his eight sons. And, and, and Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, We'll send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Notice who is speaking. God is saying to Samuel, Arise, this is the one. I mean, does it get any more confirming than God saying, This is the king that I have designed to be? Ruling over Jerusalem, over Israel. Do you see that? It's very clear there, right? So this is him. Anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And notice the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now go with me down to the verse 14 in that same chapter. And it says... um, Oh, actually... I think I messed up. <laughs> I forgot. I read, I wanted to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, the first three verses first, but that's okay. Um, if you look at the first three verses, it's just basically affirming that God has, is, is going to choose David. And we looked at uh, verses 11 through 13. Now, uh, go with me, if you would, now, to uh, chapter 23 of 1 Samuel. And again, is that an anchor, a spiritual anchor for David? God having said that to him I think it is. And and the reason I bring this up is because he doesn't know what's going to happen next. But God has already spoken what he's going to do that it, it, you know it'd be different if God says you know what David you're going to you're going to have the kingdom for just a little bit and then somewhere in you know toward the latter part of your kingdom Your reign, um, I'm going to have your son deposed. You're going to be deposed by your son. If that was the case, then he would have everything to be concerned about. But the Bible never mentions that. In fact, God never chose any of David's sons other than Solomon. It was David and Solomon. And David had six other sons, and Amnon died because Absalom killed him. Absalom wants to be king, and then once he's dead, we're going to find out there's going to rise up another one, David's fourth son. His name is Adonijah. We're going to see that in 1 Kings. But look with me in chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, because here's another anchor point for David's soul, uh, for him, uh, an anchor of faith, if you will. And this was the word of knowledge given, I believe, by Jonathan to David while David was on the run from Saul in the wilderness of Ziph. Notice what it says. It says in verse 14 that David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And notice, then Jonathan, Saul's son, Arose and he went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God because Jonathan and David were very close. They were very close friends. They were best of friends. And notice what and, and and what Jonathan said to David. He says he said to him, "Do not fear. For the hand of Saul my father shall not find you." And notice this, underline this. You shall be king over Israel. Here, Jonathan, I believe by the Spirit of God, is just encouraging David. David, you're on the the run, you're being hunted, but guess what? You're going to be the king of Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. I would say that's a pretty significant thing to hear, and especially if David's holding on to it. Because God did make him king, didn't he? So God fulfilled that promise. And so if God's going to fulfill one promise, is he, is he going to renege on other promises that he has made? No, he can't lie. He knows history. He knows the beginning from the end. When he makes a promise and he says, this is what I'm going to do, you better believe it. You can bank all your money on it. He is going to fulfill that promise. Now go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And here's another anchor to David's soul, another anchor to his faith. Again, because he's sitting over there in Mahanaim after the death of his son. What's happening next? What's happening next? But David had an anchor. He had an anchor. Do you have an anchor? Has God shown you things? God showed David things. These are pretty significant things. And now look what happens in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7. It says, Now therefore, thus... You shall say to my servant David, so God is speaking to Nathan. He says, speak to my servant David, thus says the Lord. Notice what God is saying directly to David. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. Notice, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house, David, you want to make, me a house, but guess what? I'm going to make you a house. And it's not just a physical structure. It's it's a dynasty. It's a dynasty. And he goes on in verse 12, and he says, when your days are fulfilled, now pay attention to this, put a star next to verse 12, because this is key. (laughs) When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body. Does that sound like something that's yet future? It is. It is. It's yet future and and, and and hold on to that thought. I will set up your seed after you who will, who will come. Not you know it's not like it's already happened, you know, it's not like he's saying, you know, one of your sons from previously are going to no. know. He says, "A son who will come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." Right? So this covenant that God, this is called the Davidic covenant, and this is important because uh, God was speaking to David of a son that would yet to be born of David, because at this time there were already six sons from six different wives born to David in Hebron in the first seven years of his kingdom. Okay, so six sons have already been born. Well, from your perspective, looking at me going back in time. All right, so we're looking at chapter seven. But back in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 of this same book, it gives us the names of those six sons. And Absalom is there, and so is Amnon, and so is Adonijah. But yet we go forward now into chapter 7, and God says, there's someone still who's going to come from your body yet. Not the six before. Do you follow me? And why is that important? Because... David had an assurance just on this alone, in this covenant that God had given him, that it's not those sons that were, that were born to him previously. It's one that's yet to be born. And we're still in chapter 7. Solomon wasn't born until 2 Samuel 12, right? Do you follow me? And, and God was speaking of Solomon, not any of these previous sons. Do you follow me? If you, if you think of the chronology of this, you'll get it. And that, that's important to understand. Because, it, like again, if you go back to Second Samuel chapter three, you'll see a list of David's sons that were born to him in Hebron, and Absalom and um, uh, Amnon are there, and also Adonijah. But God is not speaking to, about those sons; He's speaking about one that is yet to be born. So, as you read this, just read it read it um, chronologically. Just read it. I mean, not not everything is strictly chronological, but you can read. The sons were born to him, and then God gives to David in chapter seven a promise of a son that would yet be born to him. So he knows that it's not those six sons, it's someone yet, and then lo and behold, God gives him Solomon in Second Samuel chapter twelve. Follow me? And so Samuel or Solomon, I'm sorry, so Solomon is the one. Not any of those guys. And God is confirming it because God just allowed Absalom to die. So obviously it's not any of them. There's someone yet. And if that's still the case, and that means I've got to be back in Jerusalem, I've got to have a son. <laughs> so God is not done with David. Do you follow me? That's what my point in this whole thing, is to think of where he's at. He's not done with him. And yet, he's got some major political battles to overcome because he's sitting on the other side of the Jordan River wondering if his own people, his own tribe, is going to accept him. Because they all turned against him and they followed his son. Do you follow me? And so think of this. Put yourself in David's place. And he doesn't know who his friends are and who his foes are. He has no idea whose friend or foe. And think of the uncertainty of that. And yet the Lord's choice for David's, as David's successor was Solomon. The Lord loves Solomon. It tells us in chapter 12, after he was born, it says in verse 24, that David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and to lay with her. And she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And now the Lord loved him, and he sent hand a word by the hand of Nathan, the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. So God had already chosen Solomon. And so now David, I believe, has every assurance that, you know what, I'm over here and I'm feeling horrible. I don't know who in Judah still is with me. I don't know if any of Israel's is with me, but I do know one thing. I've got these anchors to hold on to. And that's why it's important when God speaks something to you, your circumstances may not... Uh, uh, appeal to these kinds of things, but you've got to hold on to those anchors because sometimes it's it, it, these things can come to pass in a short period of time, or it may be years down the road before God brings it to fruition because he can make things change on a dime just like that. I've seen it in my own life. He's done that. And so if God speaks to you, if he's given you a promise, you hang on to that promise. Those are anchors. You've got to hold on to them because the wind is going to blow, and it's going to blow you off course if you're not careful. But hang on to the things that you know for sure. And you know this for sure. Everything in here you can rest in. And when he's given those promises, and I just read a few of them earlier, hang on to them. Hang on to them. Those are anchors, all the promises of God that he's made. So many, many, so many Hang on to them. And David, I think, was thinking to himself, you know what? If God is who he is and he's spoken these things to me, I know he's got a plan for me. So let's look at chapter, uh, let's go back to verse 1 here. So David is mourning, and so Joab, his general, was told, saying, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day that the king is grieved for his son, And the people stole back into the city, meaning Mahanaim, that's the city we're talking about, that day, and as people, as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. And, um, and so, but the king, he covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice saying, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And then Joab came into the house to the king and he said, "'Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, "'the lives of your sons and daughters, "'the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, "'and that you love your enemies and hate your friends. "'But you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants.'" For I perceive today that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. And here, this is amazing because, you know, there was, um, you know the, the army was in great joy because of this victory, right? And now they come back into Mahanaim and they see David just falling apart. And can you imagine that? Usually when they come back from battle, it's celebration time. They're going to build the fires and slay the calf and have a big uh, barbecue, Right? And they come back all jubilant and see David just, the whole mood is completely different. It's very different. And so they're upset, and naturally so. And so Joab, his nephew, who is older than him, he comes in and he starts railing against David. Now, the things that he's saying is true here. And that's the hard thing. But there was no decorum, there was no uh, recognition, I think, of, of Joab being um, more genteel, if you will, uh, choosing his words a little better, being a little kinder in his presentation. Because I think at this point, David and Joab, they had pretty much had an end to themselves. They, they were like, you know what, if I don't see you again, Joab, ever again, I think I would be just fine. And I think King David; they were both feeling the same way. The, the, the wire was very thin between them, and so Joab's just going to let him have it. You know, hey, if you don't go out there and you know um, encourage your people, they're going to they're going to rise up against you. So the king rose up and he sat in the gate, verse eight. And they told all the people, saying, "There is the king sitting in the gate." So all the people came before the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. So no doubt, when everybody came out, David would express his gratitude toward them, knowing that what Joab said was right. I mean, they did hazard their life, and David is mourning, and mourning over not only the loss of his son, but really the lost opportunities, his own sin, and not you know stopping his sons. I mean, much of this could have been avoided. The whole picture could have been very different. So I think there were multiple layers why David was distraught, and so you know, and, and, and he has to tell these people. He's tore up inside, and he's got to tell them, you know, thank you for all that you've done, but inside his heart is dying. And, you know, sometimes a leader, that's what has to happen. You have to encourage when your whole reality is like a hurricane going on inside of you, and yet you've got to portray a, an image and and, and give thanksgiving and, and be great and grateful, yet in your heart you're just like you want to crawl in a hole and die. Have you ever been in that way before? Maybe you've heard some bad news and you're at work and you have this meeting that's coming up and you've got to sell this product and you've got to walk in there and wow the investors or whatever you're doing, and, and you just heard news that somebody in your family close to you has passed away, you know, but you know you can't, st- I mean, you could step away from this thing, but maybe you know, it's a big merge. You, you, things like that happen, and you've got to totally go against what you're feeling in your gut And that is a really hard thing. That's what David did. And so, now all the people, verse 9, were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, notice, the people of Israel and the the children of Judah, the tribe of Judah, they anointed David's son over him, in place of him, wrongfully. (laughs) And now he... Absalom's died in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? You know, so they're 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 saying this among themselves, you know, now that Absalom is dead, we need to bring back the king. And can you imagine how pensive they feel? Cuz they were all on the wrong side, and now David is coming back, and just put yourself in their shoes. Most kings out of retribution would would kill people for this for for treason but did David do that no he didn't do that so David verse 11 Sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? I mean, David, after all, was from the tribe of Judah. Why didn't my own tribe come and receive me and bring me across the Jordan River in a ferry boat? Why are you the last ones to bring the king back to his house? Since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house, they should have been the ones. And yet, it was the other tribes, the northern tribes, the the, the tribe of Israel. They were the ones that were inquiring about this, not the men of Judah. You are my brethren, he says, you're my bone of my flesh. And why then are you the last to bring back the king? And, and he says, and say to Amasa, now Amasa was um, another of David's nephews. Say to Amasa, are you not bone in, my, in, uh, bone in my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of who? the man he loved, the man who just did everything David said. No, it was Joab. He did the exact opposite. He he, he was a very loyal man, but he was very a uh, bloodthirsty man, a very self-willed man. And so David is now saying, all right, I'm done with Joab. I'm going to put Absalom now as my commander. Wait a minute, David. Right, are you thinking correctly? Wasn't Absalom your enemy? And Amasa was his commander, and now you're going to make him your commander? I can understand you getting rid of Joab. That makes a lot of sense to me. But why are you taking the one who had been Confederate against you? You know, had been against you. Why are you taking it? doesn't make a lot of sense. There's, but but there's, a, there's a method to his madness. And this is where David's being more of a diplomat, I believe, because if he can bring a Ma- Amasa or a Mesa onto his, make him his commander, then he's won the hearts of the others, Do you see the, the, the political th- part of this? Because Amasa um, was with Absalom and, and the rest of them that were coming against David. So now if Amasa is now David's commander, it kind of gives everybody a warm feeling again. Oh, you know, he's really not that bad. I mean, after all, you know, the commander of the army is now on David's side now. So David is acting more as, as a diplomat rather than doing the smart thing. And so, verse fourteen. So he swayed the hearts by doing this of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So that he sent this word to the king: "Return you and all your servants." And so the king returned and came to Jordan, and and Judah came finally, his own tribe. They come and they come to Gilgal to go to meet the king to escort the king across the Jordan. If you were to look on a map, and here's where uh, you know, here's the east side. Here's the Jordan River and Gilgal, Jericho is over here, and Gilgal is just below it, just a little bit, um, actually, it's a little bit north of it, actually. So what David was doing is the the tribe of Judah was going to come, and they were going to meet him, and they were going to meet him at Gilgal. And so that's exactly what happens.
0: That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel.